We're going to continue today. We've been doing a a series on discipleship, and I'm sorry if you've not been here and you've missed it, because it's been amazing, even though I say so myself. Uh, It's on the web if you want to catch up with it, but we're looking at Jesus' command to go into all the world and make disciples. And so today we're going to talk about discipleship is about obedience. So no series on discipleship would be complete without talking about obedience and addressing the need for obedience. The Bible has an awful lot to say about obedience. But getting people to obey is no small challenge. I mean, just ask Moses or maybe just read the Old Testament, or I'm sure you could ask any parent of small children, obedience is a challenge. It seems like from our earliest days, we're programmed to rebel. You know, sometimes it's in a big way, or sometimes it's just the small things of life where we feel compelled to exercise our right of independence. I mean, how many of you, this is just resist those do not touch signs in National Trust properties. You just want to touch just to see, you know, why not? Or, or wet paint. It says wet paint. I mean, you feel like you've got to just see, is it actually wet? Or has somebody left the sign there that should have taken it down? All those signs, on one occasion I was in Madrid and we went to visit the Royal Palace in Madrid. And everywhere there were signs in multiple languages that says, do not walk on the grass. And I don't know what overcame me, (laughs) but I'm English and I kind of like walking on grass. So I decided to see what would happen and I just literally put my foot over the edge And this alarm went off, and within moments, armed police turned up and said in words that I didn't understand, but so I gathered something like, get off the grass. So I soon found out what would happen if I did that, and I never stepped on the grass again. Or is it just me? Is it just me? Am I the only one that struggles to obey? I don't think so. (laughs) I think obedience is a challenge for everyone everywhere. And from a young age, there's a battle over wills, and instinctively, we challenge authority, don't we? And ultimately, even God's authority. And so obedience has to be learned. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you will already have been finding this out. Because you see, the Father is always working. He's always working to uh, renew our minds with truth, to reshape our fallen state into the image of Jesus, conforming us to the knowledge of his will. And he does this by the work of his spirit in us. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but often God will use a series of kairos moments in our lives. God-inspired interruptions where he draws our attention to something that he wants to do. He's so great. He's so good. He's so gracious. He'll just put his finger on areas of brokenness or even moral failure, and he will restore us and help us to live differently. That's how good he is. But learning obedience is what makes it possible to quickly respond to these promptings. And so obedience is a core part of our training as disciples. And Jesus makes this very clear in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, where he commands his disciples in these words. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So how do we do this? How do we teach people to obey Jesus? How can we learn obedience ourselves? Well, that's what I want to look at together today. How does that sound? Is that okay with you? I'm so glad because I haven't prepared anything else. Let's just pray, shall we, and ask the Holy Spirit just to help us to hear his word. So, Father God, we just love to look at your word. We love to see what you say, and we want to learn how to obey you with all of our hearts. And we pray that you would be upon us, Holy Spirit, as I preach and and as we listen as well, Lord, that you would change our hearts, change our lives, in fact, through this message, change us from the inside out to make us like Jesus, because that's what we want. We want to grow in your image. We want to recognize Jesus in ourselves and in one another for your glory. Amen. Amen. So how do we teach people to do what Jesus commands? Well, the first key is teach. How do we teach people? Obedience doesn't take place in a vacuum. People need to be taught. We need to be clearly taught what Jesus has commanded us to do. And this isn't as simple as it sounds because clear teaching doesn't exist everywhere. You know, increasingly the modern church has bowed to pressure from secular and liberal sources, sometimes in an attempt to accommodate people, making significant compromise, and in so doing have watered down the teaching of Jesus. I mean, often it's done for the right reasons, in a sense. They don't want to offend people, they want to be inclusive, but in this effort not to cause offence, The result is that sometimes there's very little difference between what they think Jesus really said, have you heard that phrase, and then what the world actually does. And they can justify this approach because they'll say, well, look, there's people here in our church that would never have been in here if we hadn't changed how we taught this. And that seems to justify their approach. I mean, for instance, I was talking to somebody recently who was really disturbed to find out that the youth leaders in their church have been teaching that sex outside of marriage is okay. It's absolutely fine as long as you're committed to one another. It doesn't even seem to matter how many partners you have. As long as there's commitment, their marriage isn't needed. It's not a problem. And my friend, he challenged this teaching. He was quite distressed. He said, look what the Bible says and look what Jesus has said. I mean, you've only got to look at the Sermon on the Mount to get a little bit worried about that. And they said, well, I don't see the problem. We, we lived like that before we got married and, and everything worked out okay for us. But if they were clear on what Jesus taught, they would have seen that he never makes compromises on the law of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, he seems to even make it harder for people. If you read that, I mean, it's frightening. It's it's, it's no longer just do not commit adultery. The act, don't even think impure thoughts, Jesus said. It's no longer do not murder. I've never done that. I'm okay. I'm in the clear. But he says don't even hate. Makes it even harder. And the New Testament is also clear to say that offense (laughs) is part of the deal. (laughs) Peter says that the gospel would be, to the unbeliever, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And then Paul, in the same vein, warns us. He says, if you want to live godly in Christ, you're going to be persecuted. 
which kind of lays out two tests for a church to see if they're teaching the commands of Jesus clearly enough. When was the last time somebody was offended? And when was the last time you got persecuted for what you believed in the word of God? And I don't pretend that teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commands with clarity is easy or that it won't take courage. But I want you to see that if we're going to obey the Great Commission, we're required to be very clear and uncompromising about what he says. That's the deal. Amen? Okay, so supposing we manage to do that then. Supposing we manage to get incredibly clear and preach the gospel in a wonderfully clear way and displaying all that Jesus has commanded, how do we actually get people to obey him? Well, here's one solution. Obey. So the fist. We use pressure. Some churches have used this before, browbeating, haranguing them from the pulpit calling down fire and brimstone. This is a heavy approach. And in some places, historically, it's still not all that uncommon. Which, I've got to say, I think has left us with some problems in the church too in handling certain subjects. This heaviness, this heavy legalistic approach. I don't think, for example, that the church has always handled issues of homosexuality or adultery very well over the years. And so we've lost credibility and, as a result, moral authority to speak into such things now. We've not done ourselves any favors. We've failed to show love where it's needed. We've failed to show acceptance and understanding and grace where it's been desperately needed, where people have been so unclear and so insecure about some of the things that they're going through. And that's because it's always been about the rules, Just impose the rules. Make people feel bad. Use guilt. Use condemnation. And accountability that is based more around where you failed this week. Ever had that one? So where have you failed this week then? Rather than on, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know the potential that you have? Do you know the treasure that is hidden in earthen vessels? You don't have to do that anymore. One of the most liberating things that a pastor ever said to me was, you do know you don't have to do that anymore. You've got a choice. It's the one, one of the most powerful things, to know who you are in God. I'm a son. I don't have to come under that. But rules and the resulting condemnation doesn't work. And it doesn't bring any lasting change. I know I've tried it. It doesn't work. Actually, this approach is fundamentally doomed to failure. Because as Paul says, I don't know if you've ever heard this, he says, the power of sin is in the law. (laughs) So actually, if you use law to try and prevent sin, you actually make sin more powerful. (laughs) So you've got a problem. It doesn't work. It's fundamentally flawed. And if you use penalties to try and impose rules. That doesn't work either. Because actually that just leads to despair and condemnation and bondage. I mean, for example, have you ever tried not to think a bad thought? 
And you say, I'm not going to think that thought. What thought? I'm not going to think that thought. That thought that you were thinking about then? You mean that thought? No, I'm not going to think that anymore. And then you get yourself caught up in this vicious circle and you can't break out of the bad thought, which is why Jesus says, don't bother with that. Think on the good stuff. (laughs) If there are any good things, anything to be encouraged about, anything wonderful, think about that. Don't even think that bad thought. Think the good thought. We're made that way. We're made for grace. Amen? I'm getting a bit excited up here. You see, obedience requires a different motivation if we're going to do what Jesus tells us to do. As Paul says elsewhere, apart from the law, there would be no sin. Think about that. Apart from the law, there would be no sin. So I want to show you what Jesus tells us about this motivation and what it has to be. And this is how we get people to obey God. Here we go. You ready? Love. Love. Let me give you a whole lot of verses in case you're doubting what I say. In John, who's often called the apostle of love, I'd love to have known John. This is what he says. He says in John 14, 15, he quotes Jesus each time. And Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you'll obey with, with what, what I command. And now that is not meant to be a manipulative thing. If you love me, you do what I told you. It's not meant to be a manipulation. It's actually meant to be an indication of fruit. Because if you love me, you're, you're going to do what I say. If you love me, it's fruit that comes. John 14, 15. John 14, 21 says that whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. If you want to see who loves me, look at what they do. In other words, talking, taking what Jesus says to heart, taking him as the Lord of your life means the resultant fruit will be obedience as seen through love. I do it because I love you. And just in case you missed it, Jesus says it in the opposite a couple of verses later. John 14, 24. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And this means that a lack of obedience in a believer's life is not so much about about an ability to follow the rules, but rather it's because of a lack of the revelation of love. It's the lack of revelation of love He who doesn't love me won't obey my teaching. And the Apostle John expands on it further in his letter. 1 John 5, 3, 4 says that this is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. They're not a problem to me. Why? Because I want to do what he says because I love him. I want to do it because I love him. I love God. I want to please him. This is why I want to obey him. It's not because he's going to beat me with a big stick. It's because I love him. I want to make him happy. He's happy. He's happy. What's your view of the Father? Is he happy? Is he a happy God? He says, in my presence is fullness of joy. He's a happy God. Just felt like somebody needed to know that. Obedience motivated by love for God means I don't have to be good so that people around me will think better of me and get their approval, so-called accountability. Well, you do it because otherwise I'm going to give you a right going over. 
You, you do it, otherwise next week when we meet together and ask you about all your sins, there's going to be trouble. Don't do it for that reason. Or even come up to my own standards, standards I've imposed upon myself. This is the way I'm going to live. I'm going to be this amazing, holy, wonderful man, and then I can't live up to it. Don't live up to that standard. That's not love. It's actually trying to save myself. And I can't do that either. It's not love. No, our motivation for obedience must be love. That's how we avoid legalism and the unending cycle of failure in the model of rule-making and rule-breaking. In obedience, I obey him because I love him, I love him, I love him. Do you love Jesus? Then obey him. You can. (laughs) You can. Because you love him, you will obey him. That's what Jesus says. That's what the word of God says. So the right question in making disciples isn't, how can I get people to obey Jesus? That's not the right question. The right question is, well, how can we teach people to love Jesus and to grow in their love for him? Because if they love him, they will obey him. Focus on the motivation. So how can we teach people how to love Jesus? A clear teaching can help, as I've already said, you know, when we understand the full extent of what Christ has done, when we understand the price that he paid, when we know the full extent of his suffering on the cross because of our sin, those that, like the sinful woman, remember the sinful woman Jesus says about her in John chapter 7, 36, he says, those who are forgiven much love much. You know, when you begin to understand that, when you begin to grasp it, something happens in our loves, and, and it, this woman, it says, she couldn't stop kissing his feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You can't stop kissing his feet when you get some of that revelation. That's the beginning of love. And the cross of Jesus has got to be where it all starts. It's where it all makes sense when it comes to loving God. Not just, though, because of our sin. Not just because of the immense cost that he paid as if he's somehow buying our love with the life of his son. Not just that. It's looking to the motivation for why Jesus came. It's looking at the motivation for why Jesus died. God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. Look at the motivation behind the cross. The cross, yes. But look at what motivated the Father. Look at the revelation of a loving God that comes through the cross. God so loved the world that he gave us, his only son. How can we teach people to love Jesus? We need to reveal to them, we need to help them to see the love that put him there in the first place. How can we teach people to love God? We need to help them to understand and grow in the experience of that love. As John tells us elsewhere, he says, we love because he, the Father, first loved us. He initiated love so that we can love him. 1 John 4.19. So love, the love of the Father triggers love for the Father. The motivation that sent Jesus then motivates us. The motivation that sent Jesus to die motivates us to obey. The motivation that sent Jesus to deal with the law, to be the fulfillment of the law, motivates us to live in the fullness 
of obedience. Amazing motivation. What motivates you to obey God? Love triggers love and love grows as the revelation of that love grows. And this alone is what makes my obedience to his earliest promptings more easily responsive. So have you grown this year in the knowledge and experience of the Father's love? Then you will have grown in obedience. How do we do this? How do we grow in the knowledge and experience of the Father's love? I've just got to say, I have found it nearly impossible to grasp the full extent of his love. I found it nearly impossible. Such as its height, such as its depth, such as its width, such as its breadth and all the other eths. It's almost impossible, it's uncontainable, incomparable. Such is the full extent of his love for me. And do you know, God is so kind. He knows that. And he doesn't give it to us all in one go. Because I think that if he gave it to us, the revelation of his love in one go, it would explode us. It would destroy us. It wouldn't be possible for us to live with it. And so he drip feeds it throughout our lives. The knowledge and the revelation of his love. There are moments in time where he initiates further revelation. An experience of his love. And I found that he even does it when we ask him. When we just come to him and say, Father, please, would you give me another revelation of your love? Would you show me again, Father, what you really think of me? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to God, will you show me what you think of me? Not what he thinks you think of me or she thinks you think of me. Will you show me what you think of me? Why do you do that right now? Why don't we just pause for a moment right there? Just pray. Just say, Father, would you give me another revelation of your love? Would you show me what you really think of me? Just ask him for that. Do you mind if I just share a bit of my story, a bit of personal testimony? I've got to say, I haven't got this all wrapped up or sewn up yet. I'm still, you know, it says that in the ages to come, that means in eternity, we'll begin to understand the extent of his love and his grace. So I haven't got it all worked out yet. I haven't lived long enough. Some of you have lived longer. I hope you've learned more. All right. But, you know, a few years ago... uh, some of you will have heard me speak about this before. It's a bit of a theme for me, I'm finding. But I, I, was, uh, I went through a key period. I, we were on holiday in France at the time, and I would disappear for hours at a time in the morning and not be able to come back because I'd find myself in the presence of God and I'd be unable to speak or to move or to do anything, which is very rare for me because I usually move a lot and I speak a lot, don't I? You know that. But in these moments, I found I was absolutely pinned to the floor 
And I heard the father saying to me over and over and over and over and over and over, just let me love you. But Lord, I've got all these things to pray about. No. Just come a bit closer and let me love you. Just let me love you a bit deeper. Oh, that's great, that's great. No, no, shh, shh. Come closer. Just let me love you. Over and over. And it didn't just happen over those few weeks. It kept on happening. It's kept on happening. He'd just say to me, come and sit with me. Just come and be with me. Just let me love you. Whoa. Did you know our father was like that? That he enjoys your company? That he just wants you to sit with him and, and let him love you? All over, inside out, past, present and future, just love you to bits. Did you know that about our Father? That he's pleased with you? It all started around the time we were singing that song. You've heard it. I love this song. The lyrics, they just wrecked me. I found I couldn't sing it for ages. I just, as we started to sing it, I'd just start crying and blubbing and embarrassing myself. But I felt like I was living in the experience of the revelation of the prayer that's in this song where it says, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased with me and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. That's who I am in relation to him. He loves me and I'm loved by him. That's the deal. That's the simplicity of the relationship. Did you know that? I tell you what, when you find that out, obedience doesn't even come into the question. I just want to please him. Because he loves me. And I love him back. And I can't love him any much, any, I can't love him on any scale like he loves me. I just can't. I just can't even begin to out-love him. So I've got a lot of work to do, haven't I? Just getting loved by the Father, and so have you. God, the Father, loves me, and he's pleased with me. And nothing else matters. Nothing else. There is nothing else. And I know it's really basic, and maybe you're thinking I was going to come up with something really profound, a strategy for how you get people to obey you. But this is it. Just tell them how much God loves them. And let them experience his love. Lead them into encounter with the Father who loves them. That's all it is. There's just been a growing sense of God's all-consuming and immersive love for me. That's my testimony of the last few years. And I've just found that God has drawn me back and back again into this place, into times which have consisted primarily, my quiet times have so changed the last few years. It's mostly been about allowing this realization to dawn on me and let him love me a bit more. Isn't that weird? Why do I have to let him love me? But I actually do. It's a relationship. He doesn't barge in where he's not invited. When did you last invite him to just 
love you. When did you just get less busy and just waste a bit of time letting the Father love you? Listen, guys, I've been a Christian for more than 40 years. I know I don't look that old, but it's true. And I still have hardly begun to understand this truth. I still hardly begin to understand it. But he loves me. Why? He just does. So don't think you've got it. Don't think you can get it all in one go. Because you've heard a great talk at Jubilee, Solihull, or you've been to a dozen conferences on the love of God. You haven't got it yet. It's going to take the whole of eternity to even begin to understand the love that comes from the heart of the Father. So how do we teach people to obey everything that Jesus commands? Teach them what he says, but teach them how he loves them. Teach people to obey him, but only because of love, because they know that they're loved. Because love is the only motivation that is needed for obedience. And there's no burden in this command. It's just a burden to love. Is that okay with you? All you've got to do is love more. There's no other burden except for the burden of a relationship of love. And we love, why? Because he first loved us. And guess what? There are only two commands that Jesus said we now had to obey. What are they? What are they? Love. Love God. Love others. Only two commands. Oh, it's all about love then. That's what he's left for us. Love God. Love other people. In these two commands, all the other commands get sorted out. Because my motivation has changed. And I know that I'm loved. And I find within me a a welling up of love for God, which then spills out to other people. So you struggling to obey him in different areas of your life? Are you struggling, for example, with fear? Guess what? Perfect love casts out fear. Fear can't stay where there is love. Did you know that? Some people go through all these kind of deliverance stuff. Actually, you need a deliverance of love. A baptism of love. The deliverance just happens as a result of love. I remember praying with somebody once and I didn't speak their language and they were very angry. They needed very much deliverance. And do you know what I did? Because I couldn't communicate with them. All I did was hold him and love him. And over a period of, I don't know how much long, how long it was, I I just held on to this little French man (laughs) at a conference. It was quite legitimate, I promise. And I just kept ministering the love of the Father to him. And I I could feel it was like a bit like praying for a fridge at first. It was just like hard and unyielding and cold on the inside. But just as I just hugged him, just loved him, showed love to him, the love of the Father melted the fridge. And the demons couldn't even stay. I didn't even need to rebuke them. They just couldn't cope with the love of the Father being poured out on this young man. Perfect love 
cast out fear. It's incredibly powerful. You need to be loved by God. You don't need to be rebuked. You just need to be loved. You're addicted to porn. Get more love. Get the real thing. Get the real love. You know what an addiction to porn is? The root of it is a desire and a need for intimacy with real love. You just need to be loved more at a deeper level. You need a deeper revelation of love. You're struggling with anger. You just need to be loved. Let it be loved out of you. You ever got really angry and then somebody's just shown love to you and find it just goes? We need to be loved. It's the root of every human need. We need to be loved and especially we need to be loved by God. And I think that's what he wants for us today. I think that's the revelation he wants me to bring to you. He says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Will you let me love you? That's the revelation. You're struggling with obedience, just let him love you. You want to make disciples who obey him, tell them about his love. Tell them about the love of the Father, one who so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not the one who was so angry with the, with the world that he had to send the son to sort it out. He so loved the world. He so loved it. He so loved it. That Jesus couldn't resist coming because it was, it was because of his love that he laid down his life for the world, for the sins of the world. I believe that for the disciples of Jesus in this place, I believe it's part of the ministry actually of this church, it's of the people of God, is to be lovers of God and lovers of men. That's world-changing stuff. I've completely lost my place in my notes, so I don't have a clue what to say anymore. So uh, who would have thought that a talk and obedience would end up with love? But that's what it is. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you.